As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the latest episode of The Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined by Matt Fortuna. It's an off-season episode. Uh, we've got a, a kick time for Notre Dame season opener. We've got some potential grad transfers to talk about. Uh, if you're on theathletic.com, you've probably been following the State of the Program series. Notre Dame's coming up in mid-June, but we've got some very interesting Notre Dame opponents coming up in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and then, just to you know, get people excited, we'll talk a little Tyler Buckner as well. But, uh, Matt... I, kickoff times are a, a popular, a popular Twitter topic. Uh, also, very impactful for recording of the Shamrock. Um, but now, now we know what we were sure was going to happen anyway. That our first post game reaction podcast will be recorded probably at two thirty a.m. from a courtyard by Marriott in Tallahassee after Notre Dame's primetime opener at Florida State. I guess. I wouldn't even ask what your reaction to it, other than just like it was good to see ESPN put out a graphic, and you're seeing Alabama, Miami, Clemson, Georgia, Notre Dame, Florida State. It just felt felt like, oh yeah, college football is coming back, and that is freaking awesome. Yeah, the courtyard sounds like an upgrade from the Microtel a bunch of you were stuck oh, at last God. time. Uh, you went down to Tallahassee. Um, yeah, it'll be Labor Day morning, uh, up bright and early, uh, two a.m. or so. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, it's yeah, you know, we're a little more than hundred days out by my math, and um, no surprise, right? Especially Notre Dame. Like, I, they haven't announced all of it yet, but I think we can do a, at least a better job of guessing what time every Notre Dame game will kick off this year than we did guessing um, where all their former players <laughs> will get drafted, which is saying a lot. Um, but it's it's exciting because you get that email in the middle of May kind of out of the blue because you're not really – it's not on your radar yet. And you're like, oh, wow. Like, it's even more exciting because last year was just – you didn't know what the hell was going on at this time of the year. And now you see those graphics. You see Miami versus uh, Alabama, Ole Miss versus Louisville. Uh, a week later, you've got Michigan hosting Washington in primetime and Penn State hosting Auburn in primetime a week after that. It's cool. It's exciting. Um, you know, it get, gets you um, thinking about what college game day is going to look like in a real environment with students um, that opening weekend and campus to campus, week to week. So uh, no surprise that Notre Dame's game is in primetime. I mean, you only move a game to Sunday to give it that prime television window. Um, I think we 
I wouldn't say we have a good idea of how it will play out, but we have a good idea of how it will end, just given how far away Florida State is from being the Florida State that Notre Dame came to know last time they were down there in 2014. But um, it's exciting. It, it, it definitely uh, puts your body clock kind of out of that spring, post-spring ball malaise and gets you more excited toward the summer and to, to camp, which is in August. Yeah, it's. I mean, there are some games, you know, Georgia, Clemson, I've been looking forward to, but I... For some reason, it just I spaced that it was Labor Day weekend. Um, that, Me too. That, that, like, that, was, that was another one I forgot to mention. I was like, wait, I thought it was like week two or week three. So I will. Uh, I look forward to watching that um, pro- probably from said Courtyard by Marriott in Tallahassee on Saturday if I'm not <clears throat> covering another game of a former Shamrock guest on that Saturday. But... You know, it's, oh, well, that, that's a tease. That's yeah, my a tease. Mind now. And then uh, you know, you even got North Carolina, Virginia Tech. I don't know if you you know that that one's on Friday night of Labor Day weekend as well. It's um, you know two Notre Dame opponents that will be interesting. It's um, I sort of forgot how much interest there is in opening weekend in college football just because like last year was so weird. Like you said, I mean everything felt like are we are we really doing this? Like does this is it? The Big Ten, it, it just Pac-12 weren't playing. Them. Yeah, it felt awkward. Like I, I'm, I usually enjoy this, but I don't know if I should. Um, this year is just going to be all out tailgating. I, I think I saw a tweet today that Vegas is reopening in the next few weeks. Um, so they closed. Yeah, apparently they're going back <laughs> to full capacity. So college football should go the way Vegas goes. Uh, and while Notre Dame has not announced, they are. They just Pac-12 <clears throat> just hired the yeah, exactly. president of MGM. Good point. <laughs> Uh, but it's yeah. Notre Dame has not announced capacity for the stadium, but they announced digital ticketing. I mean, it's certainly I get the vibe that they'll follow. You know, Virginia Tech came out 100 percent of capacity. I, I, it's it feels like that's sort of where everyone's going to get to eventually. Yeah, I'd be surprised if it's anything less than that. At least in week one. And the other part to your point about how refreshing it was. Uh, non-conference games like that really yeah. wasn't a thing last year, <laughs> unless you were playing USF or some Group of Five team. Uh, that, that was getting paid to get its brains beaten in. Um, it's exciting. I mean, I think we know how Alabama versus Miami is going to go, but like when you see those two helmets together on that ESPN graphic, it's like, oh, yeah, these two teams have won a lot of national titles, uh, one of them a lot longer ago than the other, but like it's two historic blue bloods and brands getting together. That's what we love, the, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game in Atlanta. Um, I guess, oh, the Clemson game's actually called the Duke's Mayo Classic in Charlotte, which oh. is one more, like, twisting of the knife to Notre Dame and Wake Forest since they didn't get to do that last year. No offense to Notre Dame and Wake Forest fans, like, <coughs> Clemson George is slightly better game than those two <laughs> on a national scale. Yeah. Um, based on what we know about those two programs going into the season. But, uh, no, definitely I'm excited. I mean, it, it reminds you of some other games that you forgot were scheduled. As, I mean, Texas and Arkansas. Sneaky good game with, with, with the new coach at Texas and with Arkansas looking promising last year. Um, it, it, I, th- I found it interesting, and this shows you like the Notre Dame brand, not that we ever doubted it. Like October 9th, number 15 Notre Dame at Virginia Tech was announced in that release with a TBD date and network. Like, okay, like TBD, like these two teams are playing on that day. So will it be primetime or will it not? Even Virginia Tech was tweeting out like, it's going to be a big game. And it's like, yeah, we know that. When's it going to be? Um, I think, I mean, there's a chance six of their Notre Dame's 12 games end up in prime time. I don't know if I'm going to forecast it being that many. Um, I mean, right now they have three, right? Florida State and then USC and North Carolina at home back-to-back. Correct. Both going to be at 730. Um, 
But I, I mean, think Virgi- Virginia Wisconsin, Tech, like you said, Oh, Virginia Tech. So that's four. I you, think Wisconsin. I mean, yeah, that's. I, you know, somebody made an interesting point. It sort of comes down to like the um, the TV draft for that game. Does Fox try to get it uh, and put it as like a big noon game? You know, do the big noon kickoff from Soldier Field. Um, that's. I don't know what the rules are of that. You know, certainly that would because you look at the schedule of games that week. That, that did. That I forgot that was a room. That was yeah. Like, Lambo. It's a not a. It's NBC. not an NBC game. So it's you know could be Fox, could be ABC, ESPN. The schedule of games that week. There's nothing of significance. It's really kind of that weird off week before everyone jumps into conference play, like full on no looking back. So that, I mean, that could be a game day game, could be a big noon kickoff game. Um, that will be a very coveted property because um, it, you know, whether it's at noon or whether it's at 7.30 PM, that's going to be sort of one of, that's going to be the marquee game of that weekend. So, you know, Virginia Tech, Wisconsin, you know, technically I always include what, whether it's Stan, at Stanford, at USC, if it kicks off at, um, 4.30 local p.m. Pacific. That's a night game. Um, it is. I don't know. I've, th- that's the wild card. I'll say five because I, I, I think, you know, the season gets weird and not everything plays out the way we think yeah. well. Stanford has just been one from maybe the most consistent to now maybe the most inconsistent, at least among, like, the decent programs every year. Like, I just – I have no idea how that team's going to be, especially in the last game of the year in 2021. Yeah, it's interesting because before we hopped on, I was just sort of going over state of the program. Um, you know, Notre Dame – my Notre Dame story at State of the Program runs on June 14th, but um, you know I was going through. Okay, USC runs on June 1st, Virginia May 31st, Wisconsin May 26th. Um, Cincinnati has already run. Justin Williams did a nice job. I think giving you a good inside look about what where Cincinnati could pose a problem for Notre Dame, um, but ultimately maybe where you know the group of five versus power five really stands out most. But I didn't even think to look to see where Stanford was. Um, that, you know, imagine this five years ago. I mean, Stanford was a legit marquee game. And now it's a little bit closer to like Virginia uh, in terms of the prestige of this, which is unfortunate because it was such an awesome series for about a decade. But the way Stanford is trending, they lost a ton off last year's team. They just sort of may be um, mired in seven and five ville or eight and four for for quite a while. Yeah, I feel like you're never out of it at the Pac-12 because outside of Oregon, none of those other eleven teams are really clicking at their peak, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but that was, I mean, especially when when you look back at like when Notre Dame arrived under Brian Kelly. For me, it will always be that Stanford game in 2012. Obviously, the elements and the drama at the end and the controversy added to it but it was the box score which was like they beat the crap out of Stanford in the trenches after Stanford outran them by 300 something yards or so the previous two years that was always that was a standard right it's like Notre Dame can be good again because look there's another school out west doing it very similar to them and even when Notre Dame was good like after that 2012 season but like in 2013 and uh, 14 they beat them 15 they lose you know they may or may not be been eliminated in the playoff by Stanford on a 30-second um, drive to, to, to close out that 10-2 2015 regular season. They were just so like-minded in their approach. And when Stanford had won whatever it was, four of the first six, I think, against Brian Kelly, it was like, well, Stanford can do it. You can do it. And now it's just, you know, like you said, 
you know, Stanford got him in 2017 after a really bad third quarter from Brandon Wimbush, and it's just kind of been like unrecognizable under David Shaw, at least from what we came to know them in the three years since. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think people forget Notre Dame was winning that game in 2017 in the, at the start of the fourth quarter, and then Wimbush sort of imploded. Fourth quarter, I'm sorry. Yeah, it. Um, you know, and they they kicked the crap out of him in 2018, which was I think kind of eye opening as it was happening. Um, but that's, I think the worm had turned at that point and I don't, I, I have a hard time seeing it going back. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I, I'm lying if I say I'm intimately familiar with all Stanford's personnel, but they just have not been the same. And 2019 was eye opening too, because Stanford jumps up to a pretty big lead there. And as we learned after the fact, like things weren't exactly harmonious in the, right. in the goog at the end of the year. And, you know, despite all that, Notre Dame just kind of flipped a switch and just, ran them off the field in the second half, and it was never really in doubt. So and I think Notre Dame fans were kind of rushing the field or hanging out on the field afterward. It, it was kind just of a, a weird scene. Like, it was a mosey. It was kind of a mosey. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was really one of the weirdest post games that I've ever seen. Just didn't make any sense. Like, nah, let's just hang out. Like, nobody else has got going anything on. It's Thanksgiving weekend. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Notre Dame schedule is interesting. I've, I've already been sucked into debates with fans about like kind of the show me the loss um is could cincinnati really Th- be that good a, i mean i, I agree just <clears throat> show me the loss is just like a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah and yet it, it it definitely sets up as a schedule if whereas i i feel like notre dame to me looks like a 10 and 2 type of team however as i go through the the 12 games it feels like a schedule where I'm going to pick Notre Dame to win every t- every singular game that they play, knowing full well that at some point I will be wrong. But it's just I have no idea what when that game will be. I, I agree completely. I mean, I look at that and think they'll outside of maybe Wisconsin, they're going to be favored in every other game. And when they're favored in games, they win games. That's who they've been. That's been their identity the last three years or so under Brian Kelly. Um, I think that also requires them to be playing – if not at their best, then at their cleanest every single week. And I think that's a lot easier to ask of a program with a second and a third year captain at quarterback than it is with a newcomer who, as experienced as he is, is still playing his first year of college football with this group of players, not all of whom, outside of the backfield and a few offensive linemen and tight ends, like that, that's still far from a complete picture on offense. We still don't know who's going to be really catching balls for this group outside of Michael Mayer. So. Yeah, I, I can't like fully commit and say, hey, they're going to run the table or go 11-1, and one, but like, I also can't circle a loss on there. I mean, I think we all have buyer's remorse on the North Carolina hype after last year, and while I think they'll be good again this year, like I, I'm not ready to say, hey, this is the year the Tar Heels knock off Notre Dame. I, I was curious if you still regretted picking Clemson to win on uh, November 7th, or you've gotten <laughs> over that. I will get over uh, the, the one regular season <laughs> loss of the Davos Sweetie era in the last three years. 
So I, I think Clemson turned out okay last year, at least yes. in the ACC picture. Yeah, I believe I that be we both uh, correctly nailed the second Clemson game. Uh, I thought it was going to be a close game, but what do I know? Yeah, I mean, the, Clemson I did result. not get an hour-long special featuring Pete Sampson no. on the ACC network. No, it really would have been poorly watched if they did. Um, I don't think a lot of Clemson fans would have known who the hell I was or why I was on there. So probably I for think the best. there was probably a watch party of the Notre Dame series among the Clemson coaches with Dabo Sweeney being the most popular he's ever been as an ACC head coach <laughs> for stopping Notre Dame during their one-year rental period from winning the ACC. That's coach. true. Yeah, that may have been his – he may have peaked in ACC coach's popularity at that point. Um, you know, what? as we look ahead to Notre Dame's season, I think there are, what, there are still some – well, not some. There are a ton of unsettled storylines coming out of spring practice. Um, a couple that I think would be fun to talk about today – what does Notre Dame do with Tyler Buckner? And also, what do they get out of the grad transfer market? Um, you know, Buckner's more interesting, so we'll save that to second. Grad, grad transfer is could be significant, especially what happened with Nick McLeod last year at corner, what happened with Ben Skoranek at receiver. Um, it's hard for me to imagine Notre Dame going 10-0 in the regular season without both of those guys. Um, you could have a discussion about who was more important, but... This week, the the offer that I think is worth discussing because it's more rock solid is Tulsa cornerback um, Caleb Evans. Started games in each of the four years. Um, when Notre Dame offered him, his offers were much more in line with, I think Minnesota was one. Um, TCU, I think, was one. Kind of like mid-level Power 5. Uh, but yesterday, he picked up an offer from Texas. The kid is... From outside Dallas, played high school ball there. Um, but you know, you, you read up on him, sort of the community service, you know, GPA. Even though he's somebody Notre Dame was never involved with in recruiting, it does feel like a guy that would fit in at Notre Dame at least on paper pretty well. Definitely, I mean, I think that's a guy that Notre Dame, uh, the Goog, the building is feeling pretty optimistic about um, with the way that, that 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 tide is turning. I mean, that's a guy they want that's a guy who they think will fit i know trey webb from san jose state had also tweeted um that he had an offer from Notre Dame. um that's not going to happen <laughs> i'm not really sure where the lines of communication kind of faltered there but i, I just don't think that one's happy i think a caleb evans is a very real possibility um and as you said last year worked out pretty well for these guys now yeah. The guy's only 6'2", 188. He's a corner. Like, he's not going to play safety, and I think they need safety help, maybe more than they need corner help next to Kyle Hamilton. But if you could bring in Evans, who says he has two years of eligibility remaining, which I, I haven't gone through the game-by-game game chart. I guess he would have played only four games. Yes, yeah, so he started games in each of the four years, but two years ago he he had a season-ending injury within the first three games. Um, so that's where he was able to sort of take – a medical redshirt in addition to the COVID year. Um, but if you go through his social media, I mean, he's been tweeting about the NFL draft in 2022. I'm not sure, you know, much like Jack Cohn, I don't think he is looking to make a move for two years. I think he's making a move to test himself against a higher level. And when you watch the, his highlights, there's Texas on there, there's Oklahoma state on there, there's Mississippi state on there. Um, he's played enough power five opponents to note, to, have good tape on him. I remember talking to Brian Polian about uh, sort of recruiting perspectives changing during COVID. And I asked if like grad transfers would be more of a priority 
because you're trying to evaluate high school kids on YouTube workouts or have them send you tape of them doing a three cone drill that their dad sets up. Whereas grad transfers, you're just watching college football games to evaluate them. And he's like, yeah, there's nothing, there is nothing better than game tape for an evaluation. Um, and you know, look, the Isaiah Pryor grad transfer, I don't think has hit the way that Nareem thought, but there wasn't a ton of game tape on him. He was a backup at Ohio state. Akalo Evans, started all nine games last year for Tulsa. Um, and I think the, I think that he has started 24 games in total uh, at Tulsa. I understand that's a group of five program, but you know, he's, he is around good football um, and sort of knows what it looks like. So I, especially as a more of a boundary corner with Cam Hart, who is not, who has never really played the last two years, but they're very high on um, to have a second body type like that. Because they only really would have those two, I I think that would be a significant add. The the other part of that, and this doesn't affect Notre Dame that much, but I learned about this yesterday when talking to someone there. The smaller conferences, the FCS conferences, have basically tape sharing rules, where like Notre Dame or Ohio State or whoever's in the market for a an up transfer, a guy transferred from the FCS to FBS, has to really work the corners to get their hands on film mm. and get a true evaluation of those kids, which you're probably already a little suspicious about because of who they played against. So I just thought of that right now as you were talking about um, Brian Pullian's philosophy when it comes to this. I mean, if you're Caleb Evans, you're playing in that conference, in that state, and the Power 5 guys you're playing for the most part are Big 12 offenses, you've seen some stuff as a defensive yeah. player. Like, I'm not saying, oh, you're going to go against Wisconsin, Cincinnati, it's going to be easy. Not, not by any stretch of the imagination, but, like, it's different. Like, you've got it tested by the best of the best when it comes to offensive football at the highest level of college football. Like, I, I think that calms a lot of nerves as far as, oh, is this group of five guy ready to come to Power Five? And if he does, if Notre Dame gets him, and I, I think they will. I mean, look, there are a lot of other – like, he's not a secret anymore. Texas, obviously, is one of the several programs that, that is in on him right now, and he's from there, so that, that's always a, a threat to be respected. But we've got – three guys out of four starters you feel pretty darn good about in the secondary if yeah. he comes. And like that's pretty good, especially when you have a new defense coordinator. Yeah, no, I think that would be huge. It's um, And I agree with you. If if they could find an, a Caleb Evans who played safety, who was 25 pounds bigger, that, that, that would be their first priority. But I don't I'm not under the impression that there's anybody out there like that right now. So that's um, if you can add one in the secondary, maybe it's not your first choice, but you know maybe it allows you to move some thing, move some people around. That's you know they, they had to move Sean Crawford to safety last year. It's not like it's not like they were blessed at corner or safety. So if you can fortify one, then maybe you can move somebody if you have to. Um, you know, but I don't. I'm certainly not indicating that they would like to move Cam Hart to safety or or move Tariq Bracey or Clarence Lewis, but you got to have six, seven defensive backs that you feel good with, and Caleb Evans would be one of them. How many quarterbacks should you have that you feel good with? Um, as long if one of them is a top hundred prospect who's a freshman uh, who has been billed as the next big thing, then uh, that that would be one that you would want. And I this will be, I think, a fascinating storyline throughout fall camp, whatever we get to see is how Tyler Buckner's reps get divided out. But I think you and I are both of the impression 
that Notre Dame is going to try to find a way to get him on the field this fall if he continues along the if he continues on the arc that he is on right now. Yeah, I think your your mailbag was littered with questions about Tyler Buckner, which is like reminds you of 2012 with 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 Gutter Kill and even 2011 before that <laughs> with, with Andrew Hendricks ever goal. So there's always oh, Phil Jerkovic. I mean Phil Jerkovic, Brandon. Well, yeah, I mean we could go on and on, and but that's how you know like. This kid was a good recruit. But this time, uh, but it's, I, they yeah, need it. <laughs> I, I, I agree with you. I mean, um, Ian Book just became a fourth-round draft pick by a Super Bowl-winning coach who's replacing a Hall of Fame quarterback. Now, does that mean he's going to start and go to the Hall of Fame? Probably not. But yeah. like he did a lot better than anyone ever had any reason to think he would do. And he did that under Tommy Reese. And I think that's a credit to, to Tommy Reese and that offensive staff's development. Um I think Notre Dame comes out of the spring and goes into the summer feeling a lot better about the quarterback room as a whole than it did going into the spring. Um, I agree. I mean, you knew Buckner was talented, but you had no idea what to expect when the kid hadn't played football two out of the last three years. Um, And, like, he got better. Like, we all saw in the spring game how good he looked, but, like, he got better. He, I was told, ran a 4-6 in their post-spring testing times. And that's as a freshman who had a surgically repaired knee two years ago. Uh, He loves to play football. Everyone knows what a great fit he is academically, what a smart kid he is. Um, But Jack Cohn is a redshirt senior with a lot of big game experience. He started the Rose Bowl. He's going to start. There's going to be no question about that. And I, barring injury, knock on wood, he's going to start every game this year, I think. But like, Drew Pine, for that matter, I don't want to exclude him because he had a good spring as well. And I think he calmed a lot of nerves within the building as far as like, all right, this is a guy who like can go out there and run the offense if disaster strikes and we need to, uh, we need to put him out there. But like thinking long term, uh, Tyler Buckner's the future. Uh, if Notre Dame ever slays the dragon that is Alabama or, or Clemson in, in a playoff stage, like it's going to be because of a quarterback like him. Probably won't be this year, but I do think you find ways if you're Tommy Reese to get him on the field. Pro- probably pretty early in the season too. I, I end up not venturing to guess what those packages will look like, but I think they want to get his feet wet. The sooner the better. Yeah, and look, if we're measuring Notre Dame against other playoff, uh, not contenders, but like regulars, to win in the playoff, you have you, you essentially have to have a first-round pick at quarterback. Um, I think the last non-first-round pick to win a playoff game was Jalen Hurts. Um, and was he NFL was, starter? Yeah, who was a second <laughs> Jacob round Jacob Coker pick. before that was second be round pick. Probably Jake Fromm would, would have been the guy in between oh, in, the in between yeah. Coker and Hertz. He was a fifth round pick, and that was his freshman year at Georgia when he was on like an all time great defensive team. So that that's what it requires to win, um, you know. And that's that's not to diminish Ian Book at all because I, I think that and I think we both agree like that guy got so much out of his ability. Uh, at Notre Dame and the fact that Sean Payton I think validated all that validated that development by making him a fourth round pick just backs that up and at this point if you don't acknowledge that then I I got nothing for you I cannot I cannot help people that look at Ian Book and be like ah you know they should have went with Jerkovic like it, it just well and not to, not to diminish Mac Jones who just became a first round pick and won a national title but like I'd love to see Ian Book thrown to Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell, and, you know, that group. That would be fun. No, I mean, God bless you, Javon McKinley and Bennis Skoranek, but, like, all those guys were first-round picks. Like, 
that makes yep. quarterbacks better too. <laughs> I think they were top ten picks. I mean, yeah. they were they were the equivalent of throwing to the offensive line version of McGlinchey and Nelson. <laughs> I mean, how good did Josh Adams look running behind McGlinchey and Nelson? Um, you know, there are hats that tell you how good he looks exactly. Very good. Um, so that's that's what Book was working with. He maxed out what he could do here, um, and I I think that you know the Saints backed that up. I think that if you're a Notre Dame fan and you're concerned about quarterback development at this point, one, I just think you're sort of missing the boat. But I would also argue that the development of Book should hearten you about maybe less what Jack Cohen's going to get out of one year, but really should make you feel good if Reese is here to work with Buckner for the next three or four years, what Tyler Buckner's going to be become. Because Tyler Buckner comes into Notre Dame with such a higher measurable floor um, than one book did. So if you're ar- if you're already a few steps ahead physically and mentally, you've got it all too. I, I think that Buckner ultimately may prove to be a, a more sort of savvy quarterback um, than one than book was in terms of processing and install. But if that all is at a higher level now, where that could be in two. Well, I don't know, one, two, three years is is got to be exciting if you're Notre Dame. Absolutely. And look, I, I get the the hesitancy if you're a fan. I mean, like, you're rooting for this program, and when you look at that program as a big picture over the last decade or so, like, I, I understand the hesitancy. But when you look at the fine print, when you look at who's been coaching what during this time, I mean, right. Brian Kelly's not running this offense right now. Like he, he's the CEO of this program. He's still in charge of it. He's still yep. okay and everything, but like they're not running the, the Brian Kelly offense of speed, speed, speed 2011 when they were just throwing, throwing, throwing and, and trying to get as many plays as possible. Like it, it's different now. It, it is now. They, they had a bit of elite quarterback back then who was just like a, a dual threat master in 2011. So I, I don't, they should I, bring I, him back. I understand the change. They should bring him back. Yeah. Maybe give him a headset and put him in the press box. <laughs> uh, all right. A big development in the last couple weeks. Um, we saw each other. <laughs> yeah, one, one, we saw each other. Two, you watched Ted Lasso finally. I think you're the last person I know who finally completed it. What, what? I wanted to tweet, like, my sports writer friends should check this out. I don't know if they've ever heard of it. But. <laughs> did, like, did a lot of gaps get filled in for you of, like, references people were making? They're like, oh, yeah, that's what you meant by business. I'm not with saying my two-year-old's running around the house singing Jamie Tart do 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 instead of Baby Shark, but she, I'm also not, not saying that. Um, it was it was fun. It was um, I love Jason Sudeikis. Um, I loved like the character bit when they unveiled it as part of like an NBC commercial a few years ago. Like I no doubt I would enjoy it, but also you, you know how it's like we live in these echo chambers in the media where everyone says something's the greatest thing ever, and you're just like setting yourself up for disappointment. Yes, but um, it was different. It was it was in some ways funnier and sharper than I thought it would be. It wasn't like sloppy and just like crazy. Um, like we, we got a new TV with Apple TV in it, which is why we finally watched it. I watched it with my wife, who um, we watch a lot of shows together, as most couples do. But like a lot of times, one of us falls asleep or the other, and we just restart. And like this one, both of us splits through it together very, very quickly, um, and both liked it, which is part of its appeal, right? Like uh, everyone likes it, whether you're a sports fan or not. Um, it was it was fun. I, I liked it a lot. Can't wait for the second season. Um, God, not gonna lie, a little surprised with the way things were moving in the middle when he's like in the middle of his divorce, and I'm not spoiling anything for anyone because everyone's seen the show, but me um, <laughs> at this point, I'm surprised he didn't make a move on on his boss. 
I, I thought that was going to happen. Mm. Yeah, I. You know that that never really. When she sent her head. friend to his his hotel room and he like was disappointed, I was like, yeah. okay, this is mm. going somewhere. Uh, that's I, you know I hadn't really thought about that, but it's I am totally with you. It's a it's a show about sports that has is kind of like independent of sports themselves. Like I had to talk one of my friends who hates sports who refers to. Uh, my job as sports ball writing um, that like, no, you would really like this show. And sure enough, she loved it. So it, uh, it was such a surprising ray of sunshine in a pretty dark year. Um, the fact, and I was just, I loved that I was getting like caught up in like army figurines and like feeling emotional <laughs> about it. I was like, Oh God, the show is like, it really got its hooks into me, but that's, um, yeah, lovable characters. Perhaps not as lovable as the South Bend Seahawks, which I'm sorry to report have fallen to one and two and are a bit of a skid right now um, in the National Flag Football League of South Bend. But uh, it, uh, Well, I, I believe you, uh, you're a proud father, though, are you not? Didn't your kid yes. play through? Uh, Tate lost a tooth during a play while playing quarterback. Did not swallow it. Did, you said flag football? Flag football. Um <laughs> Did not just drop the ball on the ground playing quarterback and run off the field. Um, just gutted it out and kept on. So props to Tate, who turned eight this week. Um, and, yeah, I, I think that's maybe a tale that he can regale uh, Ian Book with at the quarterback camp next month about, you know, playing hurt and, you know, toughness and what it means to, to really be a QB. So perhaps, perhaps there was a lesson learned even in defeat for Tate Sampson. So that's class of 2035, if my math's correct. Oh, yeah, it's a ways out. He's got a lot of work to do. Um, And I will say, if there is, if a college women's football program gets started anytime between now and then, our running back, Genesis, is a total terror. I think she has five of our eight touchdowns and has completely made a bunch of first grade boys look like fools when they, I think don't take her seriously as soon as she gets the ball and just absolutely sprints right by them to the point by the end of the game, she had three defenders on her at all times. And we could just like hand the ball off to any other player and they would just run untouched for 20 yards. Well, I took her seriously. The minute you said her name was Genesis because you don't name your kid that unless they're going to be an absolutely dominant athlete. Um, That'll be on the all name team in 2035 as well. Uh, which I look forward to discussing with you on a future episode of Shamrock. <laughs> uh, shout out to Patrick at M-E-M-P-R-K-W-Y for actually tweeting at both of us last night about Ted Lasso. It was a pretty funny stunt with the actor oh, yeah. who That's played great. Danny Rojas, who is another favorite character of mine and probably everyone who watched this show, just like the uh, ultimate in positivity. Oh, the other great scene was, uh, I probably can't repeat any of it on here, but when, uh, when the manager... Reads the pep talk before whatever game it was when they were on the road and just rips every single player on the team. And they oh, go Nate. <laughs> yeah, that was great. And yeah, you probably got my reference to my screenshot of Ted at the board before the Man City match with his list of trick plays. And I tweeted out as like a scene from inside Notre Dame's locker room before the Alabama game. I really wanted them to run chitty chitty bang bang against the Crimson Tide, but it didn't happen. That's unfortunate, but there is season two and um, and season three. Is there okay? It's been already renewed for two more seasons. So. Again, I was that was like seven years ago, right? When they came out with those commercials, like there was a yeah. long time ago. And I remember when the series came out, I'm just like, 
you can make a series out of that. Like, I, I love the guy. Like, I'll watch it. But, like, you know, Geico made a caveman series off the cave. I'm like, that's stupid, you know? Like, I've been wrong before. I thought if you're a Breaking Bad fan, I like, when they came out with Better Call Saul, I was like, don't root it. And that ends up being almost as good as the original. It's so well done. So, um, I enjoy it. I mean, pretty soon, right? Season two, I think. July. Next month? I think, Next no, month yeah, June. late July maybe. Um, yeah, we'll we'll be binge watching. Maybe we can do like a podcast of us watching the show. I'm sure everyone would love to listen to that. So, if, if we get uh, we get maybe some of our NBC friends on here um, to, to come on and talk about it, or, or we may play a role in it, that could help. But that could be. Um, I, I feel like I, I see some cross promotional opportunities. Uh, I do. Coming maybe Drew Brees will be in the next uh, next season. <laughs> yeah, we will. We'll see. We'll see. Maybe we can bust our uh, our guest list out to broaden our horizons a little bit to include Ted Lasso and Ted Lasso acolytes along the way. But uh, yeah, we will be back for many podcasts during the summer. Um, you know, Notre Dame State of the Program. We'll definitely do something around that in June. Um, I think that we'll either have you know probably Jesse Temple come on to talk a little bit of Wisconsin. Um, maybe at the end of this month. Uh, early next month, Antonio Morales, he covers USC for us. I think he would be a good guest to talk about uh, you know, some of the Trojans' ups and downs, how that fits into the, uh, the Notre Dame schedule this fall, um, You know, one of the primetime games of the schedule. So there's plenty of stuff coming in the summer. Um, and then Notre Dame football sort of restarts mid-June with summer school players back on campus. The, mid- the regular enrollees will be part of the roster too, so... That's another uh, story to track, but uh, Matt, if there's, I don't know if you have anything else to uh, wrap up on here um, before we. No, I, I think I figured out what you're talking about. Finally, when you said if you're here covering a former Shamrock guest um, yeah. <laughs> on opening weekend, is yes. he playing ETSU that weekend? He, he is okay. playing East Tennessee State. I University. saw him. I did see him a couple weeks ago, and he said he misses coming on the podcast. That would be, well, Clark I Lee, mean, everyone's favorite. I, re- I really feel like you and I should not be stopping him from coming back. So I told him he has an open invite. <laughs> okay. he, he was reading your stuff. He was. Yeah. I'm not kidding, listeners. When I say I saw Clark Lee at a convention in Scottsdale, and he broke down Pete's spring game right up to me, and was singing. Pete's praises to me. This is the Vanderbilt head coach reading spring game content on Notre Dame written by none other than Pete Sampson. Well, there's this, That's why we love him. No better way to end the podcast than that. <laughs> um, so until we return, probably in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but yeah, I think we'll do some state of the program stuff moving forward, have some guests um, this summer. Should be a, a fun and interesting summer preceding a, a fun and interesting season. So until our next podcast, he's Matt Fortuna. I'm Pete Sampson. Thanks for always being with us on The Shamrock. Oh,